ran in so many different directions. I had so many ideas of what I wanted to say. God has walked with Chris and I through 36 years here at Good News Bible Church. We've seen our sons, Zachary and Jared, born and raised up here. We've seen kids that were two and three years old when we came in that Chris taught that have grown up. They're now responsible, godly adults and believers. We've seen God change lives. We've seen also, on the sad end, we've seen people walk away from the faith and from church. But along the way, we've celebrated life with families. We've wept in times of hardship and heartache. I chose this passage this morning, this morning because I felt like Paul had three important things for Ephesian elders, but also for the body of Christ here. Paul's farewell address could be broken into three parts. First, he looks back at his life and ministry. Then he looks at the present. And third, he looks to the future. Three lessons. One, he looks back on his past ministry among the Ephesians and he expresses his appreciation for them. Secondly, he communicates that his present commitment to Jesus Christ. And third, he looks to the future, warning them of dangers that they would face as a church, and then commends them to God and to his word. Again, the first thing that Paul does is he reminisces. He looks back. Acts 20, verses 18 through 21. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when he came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I've lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public, and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Gentiles and Greeks of the repentance toward God and of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we say goodbye, it's natural to look back. And we see Paul looking back. He wasn't reluctant to say that he hopped right in, began ministry. He, his, his resonance was there among the people. He lived with them and among them from the time that he arrived. His motive was simple. He wanted to serve the Lord. He wasn't in it for money. He wasn't in it for his ego. His only motive was to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. To think of Chris and I, we, again, we've lived here for 36 years. Both of us came from rural areas, so very different from Chicago. Chicago is quite different from Louisiana and Alabama. We get a little bit of the temperature today, but otherwise, very different. We remained here 
same house, 1705 North Rockwell, all these years. I think about how the area is so rough, we paid $7,345. That tells you a little bit about the area where we live. But we stayed here because we became home. You made us feel home. Your family became our family. I hope you know that we stayed for your sake, because we love you. Paul's manner of ministry was very simple. He lived a consistent life and sought to serve the Lord. Chris and I will be the first to tell you that we are far, 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 far from being what Christ would have us to be. But we sought to live a life that would be such that would draw people to Jesus Christ. Paul's message, as he looked back, was well known. In verse 21 he says, I have one message for the Jews and the Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sins and turning to God and of having faith in Jesus Christ. He told sinners to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. He preached a biblical message, not hesitating to include anything that would benefit the people. Paul could look back and praise God for a biblical ministry while he's among them. Were there problems for Paul? In Ephesus, you bet there were. Think about the riot that took place because of his teaching in Ephesus in chapter 19. Two of his companions were drugged through the city. Paul, though, could look back and praise God and thank God for the ministry that he had. Over the years here at Good News, in the various ways that I've served, I've always tried to teach and to preach the whole counsel of God's Word. Carrie and I, we've done various preaching series. We've always tried to go back and forth between the Old Testament and New Testament. <laughs> we preach much in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Ruth, Ezra, Nehemiah, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the life of David, Daniel, Elijah. New Testament, we've gone through books such as the book of Acts. 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, and down the line. We tried to teach the responsibilities of a Christian, of a believer, as well as our privileges in Christ Jesus. I tried to never compromise God's Word. I tried never to go to the extreme. I tried to find that balance in what God's Word says. In the past, one of my responsibilities was adult learning. Adult learning, we used to have two hours. We had first hour at nine, and then we had worship at ten. Kids had programs, and adults had adult learning. Sometimes we'd have, usually we had three adult learning classes, sometimes four or five. But we taught people how to study the Bible. We taught them about finances and doing budgeting. 
We taught them about parenting. We taught them about marriage. We taught them books of the Bible and how to live a Christian life. And before I was senior pastor, I used to have a big ministry counseling with people. Some Wednesday nights, I'd have three counseling sessions in a row. Saturday mornings, I would have counseling sessions. And of course, during the day and other evenings, and I look back and I see how God used His Word. He used His Word to bring healing and to repair broken lives and marriages. And people found hope in the midst of brokenness and despair because you see God's Word gives hope. I would never forget a lady who came to me and she had gone to a therapist saying, this was years and years ago, $125 per session, and she was ready to take her life. Had tried it once or twice. And because she came, and it wasn't because of me, it was because I gave her God's Word. She had hope. You see, it's the Word. It's the Word of God. And we tried hard, always, to preach and to teach God's Word even in counseling. Our kids need to know God's Word in different venues and different ways. And, and, and over the years that we had the Sunday school classes, the first hour we, Chris, added God's kids and developed it so kids would have something going on during worship for the small ones. Awana was added because we wanted to reach the kids outside of the church. I think back, Attended Good News as a summer missionary at Inner City Impact back in 1981. 1981. I came back full-time with ICI in the fall of 82. Married Chris in 1983. Remember Good News Bible Church. I remember how people in the congregation provided furniture for me and drapes from a window and provided meals for me. I remember the congregation coming along, alongside us. We were far from our parents. The Zach and Jared came along. The women came alongside and helped us. And the men came alongside and helped me to know how to be a father. They offered assistance. It was in the fall of 1990 that I came on staff with Good News Bible Church. I'd served as a deacon and as an elder while on staff at ICI. But came on full-time in, in 1990. Chris has served in so many different ways over the years. She first taught twos and threes in Sunday school. And there are literally some here today, grown up, with several kids who are walking with God. What a wonderful picture of God's faithfulness. Chris not only taught twos and threes, she, as I said, she started God's Kids Ministry Second Hour. She worked in the nursery. She taught Sunday school. She taught women's Bible studies. Over the years, we've had various Bible studies in our home, and Chris was hostess. She assisted me off and on with premarital counseling. She discipled young women. 
She was on the women's ministry team. I could go on and on. But remember, remember good news, and I remember how loving you were, how accepting you were of this young guy with a strong southern accent. I remember one guy said, Ralph, I thought you were going to have on overalls. He didn't know my style, did he? But you were, you were welcoming, you were, you were loving. I remember how in the midst of life, the rough times in families and situations, when my brother died before he was 40, see, you were there. And when my sister Kathy died, you were there for me. When mom and dad passed, you were there. Some of you may remember we had a contractor working on our house. He was a con man. He took us. He left our basement without windows and without doors, without interior work done. We had dug out two or three feet of dirt to make the, the basement, you know, right size ceiling and everything. And that dirt was all left. There are those of you here who helped me get that dirt out. You were faithful. I remember ladies cooking meals when we had work projects. You came along, you helped me put in the doors and the windows and do the plumbing and do the electrical and do the siding. I could go on and on. And then there was a time five years ago that Chris was diagnosed with cancer. And you were there. You ladies were there. You cooked meals. <laughs> One person offered to wash our clothes, I didn't know. <laughs> Some of you would pick up Chris and take her to Rush Hospital for radiation and bring her back. You were there. A couple of years ago, we were on vacation. We are in Gulf Shores, Alabama, sitting on the beach. And Carrie called me and he said, Ralph, I hate to say this, but your house has been broken into. The glass doors were smashed. Almost every drawer in the house was pulled and all of the contents were thrown everywhere. Several people here worked hard, picking up the glass, trying to put things in order, securing the house. You've been with us. You've been for us. We've gone through life. And we thank God for you. You've been with us through the good times and through the hard ones. And, and, and not just the hard ones in the sense of what I've just gone through, but every pastor goes through good times, and then there are those years when there are struggles and hardship as being a pastor and working through issues. But you've been there. And I can look back and I can say, Thank you, Father for the opportunity that we've had. As I reflect on the 
almost 29 years, it'll be 29 years in November, if I stayed that long. But I thank God for you. I thank God for how I see God working in your lives. Well, Paul, in verses 17 through 21, he looked back and he reminisced and he thanked God for the people. And then verses 22 through 27, Paul looks at his commitment presently to Christ Jesus. Let's read verses 22 through 27. And now I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from our Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you that this day I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In a minute, I want us to look. There are five graphic pictures here. But, but first, I want to say that Paul shares with his friends what he's feeling, what he's going through. He didn't hide the fact that he was constrained by the Spirit of God, going to Jerusalem, facing danger, possible death. The Holy Spirit had been witnessing to him throughout their cities along the way. Paul's courage and perseverance in the face of these trials that he waited, waited for him in Jerusalem could have silenced and stopped many of us, but not Paul. He was willing to put the interests of others ahead of his own. He was determined to fulfill his calling. Chris and I have never faced imprisonment for teaching the word. But we did live in and have lived in Humboldt Park when it was a rough area, when the gangs controlled things, when drugs were everywhere. I can still think back, being in, in, and Carmen lived on Tallman. If you guys remember, Tallman and Wabansa, there were a group of disciples that were there often. And I remember purposely walking through them and trying to build relationships with them. I remember it's very early in our marriage, I think probably the first few months that we were married, I remember that a group of disciples, gangs, members, decided that they would take residence on our front steps and sell their drugs from there. And so I told Chris, I gotta go out and tell him to get up and go. And Chris was like, oh no, Ralph, you can't do that. I said, oh Chris, I have to, I have to. I remember, <laughs> watching the gang chase individuals down and beat them with baseball bats. I remember the blood. I remember the gunshots. I remember going to look for the leaders after beating 
after seeing them beat up these people. I remember once going and talking with people at midnight until 2 o'clock in the morning, sharing with them their need for the Lord. Well, I mentioned all these, these graphic pictures in those verses 24 through 26. I, they challenged me tremendously this week. And I hope that they challenge you as we kind of look at them. Five graphic pictures. Paul says, first, that he's, he was an accountant. He says, I do not account my life of any value, nor precious to myself. You see, he examined his life, and he put Jesus Christ first. Have you, have I, taken account of our lives? And have we put Jesus Christ first? Second picture I see is that of a runner. Paul says, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that God has given me. Running that race. Is your goal to run the race of life, to finish the course that Christ has set before you? Or have you started out and begun to say, you know what, it's still too hard. Third picture I see is that of a steward. Paul says, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognized that he received his life, his ministry, his all was from Jesus Christ, from God. It's the question for you and I today. Do we recognize, do we realize that everything that we have is a gift from God? He's given us the ability to think. We're athletic. We are given those gifts and down the line. Fourth, we see that Paul saw himself as a witness. He said, to testify of the gospel and to proclaim the kingdom. The question for you and I are, are we a witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? And then finally, not direct, this very clearly there, a watchman of the wall. Watchman of the wall. He says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He says, the blood is not on me. And I think this is probably the most dramatic. He hit me so hard. Ezekiel chapter 3 verses 17 through 20 gives us a picture of the watchman's job. And God says in that passage, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. And if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require of your hand. But if you warn the wicked and, does not, and he does not turn, from his wickedness or from his wicked ways he shall die for his iniquity but you will have delivered your soul do you see the responsibility that we have this is unique and this is a little bit different but do you 
do you think about the fact that the people that pass through our lives, is it sometimes easy to not share the gospel, thinking that they don't want to hear? Paul was an accountant. He was a runner, running the race of life for Christ. He was a steward, realizing that all he had came from Jesus Christ. He was a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a watchman of the wall. For a serious calling, he had. In verses 28 through 38, Paul looks to the future. He first warns the elders at Ephesus of the dangers that they had to recognize and had to be alert to, to deal with, to protect the flock. And then secondly, in the closing verses, he commends them to God and to his word. Verses 28 through 31, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the other flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. First, he warns them of dangers that they would face. He warns them the threats that would be coming after he left. In contrast to Paul's teaching and his conduct, his faithfulness, there are always those, aren't there? They're like fierce wolves. They don't care about the flock. They seek to devour the flock. And Paul, I think, gives us a three-pronged uh, approach of vigilance. First, we're to be on guard for the dangers from within our own hearts. We're to be aware of the dangers within our own hearts. He says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. The NIV says, keep watch over yourselves. The New Living Translation says, guard yourselves. C.S. Lewis wrote, the true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. We must never suppose that we have risen to some above some particular sin or have attained immunity from temptation, but always be on guard. So first, first danger is our own hearts. We're to guard them, we're to be alert, we're to pay careful attention. Secondly, we must guard the flock from dangers without. It says fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Heretics, cults, secularists, and other enemies will come and try to attack the church. I can think over the years, different times when people have come in. I still remember once a guy coming in, Pastor Wayne was away, and he came in, and we thought that he was a solid, biblical man, and he came in and he didn't preach God's word. I can remember people coming in and arguing in, in adult learning classes, trying to say, that God's word said one thing, which was not true. But we're to first be aware of our own hearts. Secondly, we're to be aware that there's a danger from without. And then third, he says that we're to guard 
ourselves for dangers from within the flock. It says, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. Paul warned that some men would rise up among them seeking to draw people astray. Vigilance is needed. I think it's easy for sometimes to develop this, this fortress mentality where we're watching out for the world and we forget that inside there are possibilities. And history proves this. And Paul warns, be careful, be on guard. Be on guard. 3 John verses 9 and 10 gives us a good example. John says, I wrote to the church about this, but that after this, who loves to be a leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. And when I come, I will report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others to not help them. And when they do help him, them, he puts them out of the church. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, there were false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. Paul warns the Ephesian elders. He warns us to watch out among ourselves as well as among the flock so that no one perverts the gospel. Uh, it it kind of reminds me, when you get on the airplane, what they always do, they, they always talk to you about the oxygen mask, right? And they tell you what, if you are an adult and you have children, first put the mask on yourself, then help your child. Same thing here. We need, in a similar way, to shepherd the flock, take care of your own personal relationship, and then come alongside and shepherd those around you. The, the church at Ephesus was a healthy church at that time. And Paul gave them a very needed warning. In fact, I think about 35 years later, in the book of Revelation, when they're talking about the this, this seven churches, Christ addresses the church at Ephesus. And you know what he says. He says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. And do not and do the things that you should, you did first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. Powerful. You see, we're always to be vigilant. We're always to be on guard. And just as over the past years, we have seen in various ways people trying to come in and trying to, to distort God's Word. Be aware of it. And be aware again of our own hearts. After the warnings, Paul commends them to God and to His Word. Verses 31 and 32 Therefore, be alert, 
remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul knows that they will never see his face again. And his sheep under their care will never see him again. Instead of creating this undue devotion to himself, Paul tells these believers that which will sustain them, the Word of God. The Word of God. He points them to God and to the Word of God. He first he says, it's the Word of God that Paul preached, resulting in their salvation. It was the Word of God, all of it, that Paul taught to protect and sustain them. It's the Word of God to build them up. It's the Word of God that bring about an eternal inheritance among the saints. You see, Paul knew the importance and the sufficiency of the Word of God. We're skipping down to verse 36. We read, When he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. Paul left those church elders prayerfully and tearfully. And Chris and I leave Good News Bible Church prayerfully and tearfully. We thank God, though, that we'll still be in the community. So glad that, that we can trust Good News Bible Church to God and to His Word. That same God who's been with us all these 40 years is still here. That same Word of God that brought us to salvation, that same Word of God that protects and sustains us, that builds us up, that brings that internal, eternal inheritance will be taught. It's the sufficiency of God's Word to grow. Chris and I are excited for the next phase here at Good News Bible Church, and we pray for you. We pray for the, the pastoral search committee and look forward to seeing what God will be doing in this next season for Good News. But again, Chris, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we've had to live among you. To serve alongside you. To cry with you. To laugh with you. To work for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you. We love you dearly. It's hard to say goodbye. I want to pray for you now. I know that you're going to be praying for Chris and I, but let me pray for you now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much for Good News Bible Church. 
And Father, how you brought Chris and I from Alabama and from Louisiana and how, Father, you settled us at 1705 North Rockwell Street and how, Father, in the midst of all these 35, 36 years, Lord, you connected us with Good News Bible Church. Father, you made them our family. And we thank you for them.